Hello, and welcome again to another conservative historian podcast. This one entitled, Misappropriation, No More Tacos, or Tuesday, and definitely not Taco Tuesday. The date, November 2022, and my name is Bell Avis. Tuesday, the word, comes from the Old English Tuesday, meaning Tuesday. Two was a Germanic god of the sky and war. His equivalent in Norse mythology is Tyr. Quote, A racist notion found in neo-shamanic circles is placing high value on indigenous wisdom, but not on indigenous people. Unquote. S. Kelly Harrell, Teen Spirit Guide to Modern Shamanism. If that last quote seemed a bit well, odd, then let me enlighten you. One of the fads of the left is the concept of appropriation of another's culture, defined as, well, cultural appropriation. One of the definitions for this is the inappropriate or unacknowledged adoption of an element or elements of one culture or identity by members of another culture or identity. This can be controversial when members of a dominant culture appropriate from minority cultures. According to critics of the practice, cultural appropriation differs from acculturation, assimilation, or equal cultural exchange in that this appropriation is a form of colonialism. Wait, what? Colonialism? Hmm. I'm not certain I'm getting that because obviously we're talking about acculturation, assimilation, colonialism, and cultural appropriation. Let's further read on that definition. When cultural elements are copied from a minority culture by members of a dominant culture, and these elements are used outside of their original cultural context, sometimes even against the expressly stated wishes of members of the originating culture, the practice is often received negatively. I, I like the members of the culture thing. Let's, let's just use one example. So this, these objecting members of a dominant culture using cultural aspects of a minority culture. So we have 62 million Latinos within the United States. This is by no means a single block of people given the differences ranging from Colombia to Mexico to Puerto Rico to Cuba. So let's look at just Mexican-Americans, or around 36 million people. If I don a sombrero or host a taco and tequila party, and if any members of that 36 million cohort, if any of those members object, this is cultural appropriation? This is colonialism, meaning that I, as a Northern European descendant, will be colonizing the Mexican culture. And because the term colonialism is used, this would be similar to the United States, I don't know, let's say invading the Chihuahua state of Mexico and first taking their goods and then settling U.S. citizens there. Sort of a reverse process to what is happening today in Texas. I don't know this cultural appropriation thing. I'm still not really clear. Let's try again. Greenheart International, a self-described as a catalyst for global transformation through the facilitation of cultural exchange programs, eco-fair trade purchasing, 
After all, what other kind of fair trade purchasing is eco-fair trade purchasing? And personal development opportunities, volunteer service initiatives, and environmental advocacy projects describes a difference. And here it is. It is essential to understand that there is a difference between appreciation and appropriation. Appreciation is when someone seeks to understand and learn about another culture to broaden their perspective and connect with others across cultures. Appropriation is simply taking one aspect of a culture that is not your own and using it for your own personal interest. Got it. If I, a non-Hispanic, like and maybe go to an El Salvadoran restaurant, I enjoy their cuisine, I am okay. But if I should somehow take up, but if I should somehow take up El Salvadoran cuisine, in other words, I should start to cook it, I should start to prepare it, maybe even open a restaurant. I am not an appreciator, but rather, at that particular moment, I become an appropriator. Not really certain how I can like it without actually tasting this, but thinking that I can only eat it prepared by El Salvadorans, but not make it myself, which just so happens to be really convenient for El Salvadorans selling their own food and preventing me from opening my own restaurant. But I think I need more understanding. And thank God the mighty Atlantic magazine is on hand to provide a primer. In a piece by Jenny Evans and Quartz, single name only, here is a list. Blackface is never okay. Okay, got that. Don't adopt sacred artifacts as accessories. Well, when Victoria's Secret sent Carly Claus striding down the runway in a fringed suede bikini, turquoise jewelry, and a feathered headdress, essentially a sexy Indian costume, many called out the underwear company for insensitivity to Native Americans. And they were right. Well, I could make a moderately crude joke that, wait, she was wearing a headdress? I hadn't noticed. <laughs> okay. But that sounds a bit toxically masculine. So I just, I, I will not go there. Yet our, intrepid, yet, our intrepid Atlantic writers confuse their own piece with this little statement. In the 21st century, cultural appropriation, like globalization, isn't just inevitable, it's potentially positive. Wait, so it's a good thing? Two other items from the list that do little to clear up my issue. They say, remember that culture is fluid and engage with other cultures on more than an aesthetic level. Hmm, an aesthetic level. Okay. I have to turn to an, an organization much older. I am going to the NCCJ, founded in 1927 as the National Coalition of Christians and Jews in response to anti-Catholic sentiment being expressed during Al Smith's run for the Democratic nomination. They now specialize in diversity, equity, and inclusion practices, which makes sense. We will discuss mission creep in another podcast, but after Kennedy's election some 60 years ago as president of the United States, and the fact that most of our Supreme Court, our Speaker of the House, and our current president are all Catholic, thinking they need a new mission, but they are swimming in a pretty crowded pool with the DEI crowd. Now, the NCCJ defines cultural pro 
Now, the NCCJ defines cultural appropriation as thusly. Cultural appropriation, it's taking intellectual property, traditional knowledge, cultural expressions, or artifacts from someone else's culture without permission. This can, this can include unauthorized this can include unauthorized use of another culture's dance, dress, music, language, folklore, cuisine, traditional medicine, religious symbols, etc. It's most likely harmful when the source community is a minority group that has been oppressed or exploited in other ways and when the object of appropriation is particularly sensitive. Example, sacred objects. Appropriation the act of taking something for someone's own use, typically without the owner's permission. Well, that's a pretty exhaustive list. And unlike some of our earlier definitions, they seemed a little dicey on whether, it, 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 whether you could take from anybody's culture, including the dominant culture. So in other words, remember those El Salvadorans that they could open up a pizza joint Assuming that that is a cultural thing, we'll, we'll get to the Italians later. I, I digress. But I would hate to point out to the earnest folks at the NCCJ, but intellectual property is already protected by the United States Patent and Trademark Office. IP is not a cultural thing, but very much a legal one. Doubt me? Try creating and marketing a toy called, I don't know, Michael Mouse? that happens to have big black ears and a squeaky voice? And you will soon learn all about IP and what a phalanx of IP lawyers can do to your once-a-date life. I'm quite familiar with the USPTO myself. That is a registered mark on because history is too important to be left to the left. And if that sounds familiar, dear listener, then you just know that I myself have taken a trip or two to the United States Patent and Trademark Office for my own purposes. So when the NCCJ starts to talk about IP in terms of cultural appropriation, I start to wonder if they know what they're talking about. The other part of the NCCJ is more muddle. Who exactly gives me permission if I wish to don a war bonnet or cook a dish of Thai cuisine? What if I pay a group of Sioux for approval, but the creek object? Is there some governmentally sanctioned organization? Is the new Bangkok Cultural Association or the NBCA, are they going to come after me for the use of garlic chicken? I also like the oppressed part. The Irish were certainly oppressed at one time in the history of our nation. So, St. Paddy's Day? Well, that is probably on limits because right now the Irish are considered white. Though they were not afforded that sort of distinction by the people who had already come over from the English side of that particular group of islands. I feel I'm not really getting anywhere with all of these definitions, so now I'm going to look at real-world examples of cultural appropriation. This from the rightist New York Post. A professor at a Kansas college who dressed as Michael Jackson for Halloween has come under fire, with some accusing her of cultural appropriation. Holly O'Neill, who is white, is now also the subject of an investigation by Washburn University where she works as an associate professor of chemistry and an interim assistant dean. 
O'Neill dressed as the King of Pop at the English Department's annual Halloween party, where she danced to his Halloween classic thriller, according to the Washburn Review. Oh, Holly O'Neill, what were you thinking? A video of O'Neill dancing was uploaded to Facebook, but thank God has since been deleted. I'm probably more afraid of the dancing than I actually am of the costume. And I might argue that it is it that it is worse to celebrate a man who more than likely was a pedophile, but I'm writing this on a plane coming from New York where old MJ has a musical all to himself, so I can't really fight fashion. I would also point out that one of his lyrics was, I am tired of being a color from his song Black or White. Among the less salacious details of MJ's life was that he was literally transforming himself from a black man into something, well, else. So what exactly was this poor professor appropriating? Was it that he was black? Was it that he was a man? Because I kind of feel almost like he was trying to transform himself into something that wasn't either of those things. So this is from the leftist Guardian. The great British bake-off has been accused of cultural appropriation after a Mexican theme episode in which the hosts sported sombreros, shook maracas, and relied on cuisine cliches such as tacos and tequila. The backlash to the episode highlights how the country still has one of the most misunderstood cuisines despite a boom in restaurants that sideline burritos and nachos in favor of authentic herbs and vegetables, say Mexican chefs. For me, it's a bit sad to see this kind of thing because knowing my culture and country, I feel it's more than just a a cactus and a sombrero, but I think that slowly people are starting to learn more, and I hope people will get more interested in proper Mexican culture and food. That's something I'm trying to do with my restaurant, said Adriana Cavita, a chef from near Mexico City who runs Cavita in central London. Note the for me part. What Cavita ostensibly means is for me in terms of her opinion on the whole thing. I tend to think that it's really definitely for me from a business and money kind of thing. In other words, anybody who isn't Mexican and runs a Mexican restaurant or somebody who might be Mexican and runs Mexican food that isn't traditional Mexican food, get them out of there. Kick them out. And therefore, if you want Mexican food, then you're going to just have to go to Adriana Cavita's place. Yeah, definitely. She's she's clear on the for me part. I'm still not not quite getting all of this, so I'm going to try something different. And as a first, for the conservative historian, we go to the Laney Gossip site. Woohoo! You thought this was boring, old, crusty history? This podcast goes where historians and relatively sane people fear to go. Here it is. La La Anthony. No idea, dear listener. I don't know who that is. Lala Anthony caused a stir on social media after posting a photo of her in a traditional Caribbean moss costume for Halloween. In an Instagram post, she appeared in stunning purple and silver bodywear with a feathered backpack. While the comments filled with celebrities like P. Valley, writer Katori Hall, and Lala's bestie, Kim Kardashian, at last a name I've actually heard of, all seemed to express fondness over her costume choice. Caribbean people and diaspora members appeared to be at odds over whether this was a case of cultural appropriation. It's a question I'm having a hard time answering myself. 
I've played Ma since the age of six. In fact, the only year I didn't play was in 2017, and that's because I was eight months pregnant. It's a practice I find so much joy and liberation in, but times have changed, as have the celebrations. Well, Laney really wasn't much help there. Because the study of history has been superseded by ethnic or gender studies or quasi-sociology, the latter disguising itself for what it truly is, redistributive ideologies, people do not see the appropriation that is all around us. My ancestors, as I've stated, come from Northern Europe, not from Italy. But that does not stop me from using the name of the months that we appropriated from the Romans. Basic Spanish 101 teaches us numbers and educates us that Spanish is a Romance language. Hence, we know that Dias derives from the Latin Deca, or 10, December. At one point, was the 10th month in the Roman calendar. And you can see the rest, septa meaning 7 or September, or octo indicating 8, as in October. Alas, we find, I think from all of these stories and definitions, we just need to find new months, dear listener. We also need a new name for the octopus. But is there a power discrepancy between me, descended from Northern European folks, to the Italians? Well, according to the Open Society Foundation's blog, at the time it was a big story. A local police chief had been killed and nine immigrants rounded up. The newspapers denounced suspects as lazy beggars and violent criminals. Amid the public outrage, a frenzy mob broke into a prison found 11 members of the same ethnic minority as the alleged perpetrators and lynched them all. We are not talking about African Americans here. All the victims were Italian. The year was 1891, the place was New Orleans, and the United States was in the grip of a wave of vicious racism directed at a newly arrived wave of immigrants from Italy. In a sign of the depth of hostility, a New York Times editorial praised the lynching. Boy, the Times is a little different back in those days. Praised the lynching as a warning to other Italian criminals. Theodore Roosevelt, a guy who definitely needs a remake, later to become president, described it, well, as a rather good thing. This all sounds very victim to me. Even though, like the Irish, the Italians are now labeled white, I think we can clearly say from this particular example, and the racism by Theodore Roosevelt, that Italians at this point were very much victims and very much discriminated against. This sounds victim to me. Months are gone, along with me making any pasta, unless those mysteriously and ambiguous permission granters give me their leave. Okay, but what about my fellow Northern Europeans? However, my ancestors did not actually hail from Scandinavia. We'll get to why I'm talking about Scandinavia in a moment. So there were more issues. Swedes were labeled in a piece by Roger McKnight entitled, you ready for this one? Those Swedish madmen again. The image of the Swede in Swedish American literature as distractingly hillbilly-like and loud as a pasture full of horse bulls. This was by the townspeople, most of whom were of English ancestry. Got it? Swedes are victims. So only those folks hailing from Sweden, Norway, and Denmark can use the days of the week. Those are part of English too. No, Woden's Day or Wednesday or Freya's Day, Friday for non-Scandinavians. 
Well, at least while Greta Thunberg is shaming the rest of us over climate change or in her new adult incarnation lambasting all of capitalism, why did I always figure that behind every environmentalist is a quasi-Marxist because, you know, the Soviet Union was such a great steward of Mother Earth? Well, in any event, I digress. So Greta Thunberg uh, uh, fights the, for the um, ecology and hates capitalism. But Greta is from Sweden. Greta can do so on Thor's day. Yes, she can keep her days of the week. Lucky, lucky person. This will work doubly well because I figure she is, after all, a pagan. Now, the English language is going to be problematic to untangle. We have Greek words like police and policy. Many of our cities are a mashup of Anglo-Saxon names and those Greek derivatives. So we'll have to either move our Naval Academy or rename Annapolis. And do not even get me started on Indianapolis. Boy, that sucker's got to be changed for a lot of reasons. I noted Latin was a problem because of the month issue. The DE words alone are a thorny wicket, as in debilitate and defame. Also, anything with Terra, Earth, in it. Terre Haute, Indiana, that one will go the way of Indianapolis. Subterranean and interracial, both out. And they can no longer use ad nauseum, a term I often apply to the academy and to most claims of cultural appropriation. And then there's rodeo, tornado, and we even have voodoo, as in voodoo economics. That one's from the Caribbean, but all of this is really about food, right? All of those non-Italians who got those brick ovens for their pizzas, not on our watch. Chili, do not even think about it. And now we come to the, well, the relatively sober part of this podcast. As noted with the muddled explanations, cultural appropriation has less to do with the purported lack of offending and much more to do with power, but not the power that the left discusses. Here from Conversation Magazine is another example of the muddle, academic doublespeak so prominent today. Here we learn from somebody called a visual culture scholar, which sounds like a cushy job if it comes with tenure. In an article on cultural appropriation, visual culture scholar Rina Aria writes, Integral to the definition of cultural appropriation is an asymmetry of power between two cultures that involves the majority dominant culture taking from the marginalized culture. So it's more productive to think about cultural appropriation in terms of relations of power. For example, in South Africa, Afrikaner nationalists appropriate the local cop's language to produce the Afrikaans language. This version stripped cops of its creolized Khoisan, Arabic, and Southeast Asian roots to favor its Dutch origins because it could do so. So one needed to go back like 120 years to the Boers to find an example. When a few hosts on British Bake Off sports sombreros, not in a demeaning, but in a celebratory fashion, it is them showing the power and dominance of English over Hispanic culture? Well, the conversation got one thing right. This is about power. In this case, this is really about the power to first define, then to dictate precisely what can and cannot be done whenever a culturally distinct, and even that is hard to define, issue is at stake. In a piece by Alec Dent called The Natural Evolution of Language is Not Cultural Appropriation, the author states, 
Though its roots are Germanic, the English we speak today was heavily influenced by French and Latin as well. It has changed over time, thanks to the exchange that takes place when cultures meet and interact, from the language of Beowulf to that of Chaucer's poems to that of Shakespeare's plays to that of Donald Trump's tweets. I have noted that in our English-speaking Norse days of the week, our Latin months, and even our politics— the word, not the concept, are Greek. Part of this was that the Romans ruled Britain from 60 CE to the 400 CE. Then the Saxons conquered Britain and ruled until the 9th century. For the next 150 years after that, the Saxons commingled with the Vikings. But in 1066, the Normans came, and along with the Angevins and Plantagenet dynasties, linked Britain back to the continent. Our American ancestors then added Spanish and a host of others to the language. Dent adds, language does not evolve for better or for worse. Though the last entry on that list may suggest otherwise to some, it simply changes with the times. Naturally, a great deal of cultural interaction and exchange occurs in a country as diverse and as rich as the United States. Words and phrases that are adopted into the mainstream of slang often become so thoroughly embedded in the language that we forget where they came from. I would add to that, when we take, let's say, a word or a phrase that was originally slang, that we are not dissing the original culture, but rather adding to the rich pantheon of our language. And yes, I use the term dissing intentionally because I guess you would know what that means. It is a shortened version of being disrespectful. As the great Thomas Sowell notes in his The Quest for, Com the Quest for Cosmic Justice, in a world where every society and every civilization has borrowed heavily from the cultures of other societies and other civilizations, Everyone does not have to go back to square one and discover fire and the wheel for himself when somebody else has already discovered it. Europeans did not have to continue copying scrolls by hand after the Chinese invented paper and printing. Malaysia could become the world's leading rubber producing nation after planting seeds taken from Brazil. Yet the Equal respect identity promoters would have each group paint itself into its own little corner with its own insular culture, thus presenting overall a static tableau of diversity, rather than the dynamic process of competition in which the progress of the human race has been based for thousands of years. There was a time in our history when there was an awful, terrible clarity to our differences, Irish Catholics could not hold high office. Blacks would ride in the back of the bus. Certain races would not be served at diners, including Latinos. The fact that cultural appropriation is such a muddled concept lies in the fact that today's 21st century social justice warriors are seeking dragons to slay, and many of those dragons are illusory. For the activists, including those pushing the cultural appropriation narrative, it is not about a cause, but rather their self-identity that is the critical matter. And their self-identity lies in being the hero, even if we are not certain who is the victim. 
And the final part of this is, is that it gives them power. Power to dictate what is in and what is out. Power to cancel out possible competitors to something that they wish to do. The power to tell us what foods we can prepare, what clothes we can wear, and even, as crazy as this sounds, what costumes we can wear on Halloween. Thank you for listening to the Conservative Historian Podcast. This is Bell Avis.